me, it's we're talking about the soul, and the soul is waiting there for you. It's waiting. It's been giving you giving you messages nightly, but you haven't been paying attention, right? So if you begin to pay attention, it's like, oh yay, there you are. We're finally paying attention, and so the dreaming dreaming often responds in that way. Hi, I'm Kirsten Leo, and this is the Light Path Podcast, brought to you by thelightpathcollective.com. I am passionate about exploring energetic practices, spiritual principles, healing modalities, and connecting to the experience and wisdom of others to illuminate our paths and live at our greatest capacity for abundance, worthiness, and love. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Athena Laz. Athena is a spiritual mentor, lucid dream teacher, psychologist, and author of The Alchemy of Your Dreams and The Deliberate Dreamers Journal. As a natural intuitive and avid lucid dreamer, Athena feels the spiritual aspect of life must be incorporated with the psychological aspect of self. In this episode, Athena breaks down the process of dreams and what they can reveal about ourselves, our lives, and our souls. Check out the show notes to connect with Athena, but for now, enjoy this really interesting episode. Athena, welcome to the Light Path Podcast. I have been looking forward to this chat for a really, really long time because I just find what you do so fascinating. So thanks for making the time to speak to us. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's wonderful to connect with you and just join you for this hour. Thank you. So we are going to dive into the world of dreaming. I get asked this a lot by our community in terms of what dreams mean. And I am in no way near, not even an amateur in this area, let alone an expert. So I'm glad I finally have found an expert that is going to talk us through the process of dreaming and what it all means. But before we kick that off, let's dip into who you are. And um, by doing that, what is your favorite quote? Okay, so I'll start with my favorite quote, and it'll kind of lead into at the moment who I think I am, right? So my favorite quote, and I'm reading off a screen, it it Mm -hmm. is, art beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field, I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. And it's a, it's a quote, or I guess like a poem by Rumi, and it's translated by Coleman Parks. Oh, we love Rumi. I think I could read Rumi's work and never feel I completely understand it. Fully. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just so beautiful. What does that quote mean to you or represent in you right now? But for me, the, it feels like the world is in such an extreme place and mm. everything is so divisive and it's so easy to fall into judgment, into thinking that one thing is absolutely right and another thing is absolutely wrong. And in the quotes, it says, there's a field, I'll meet you there. Come and come and lie with me, come and lay on the grass, you know. And in that space, that infinite space that I think is available to all of us, we actually remember that we're actually of a spiritual essence, a soul essence. We're so much bigger than what we think our labels of rightness and wrongness are. So that at the moment is my favorite quote. It might change. <laughs> yeah. But but that's it. I love that. And I think, you know, if you're hearing this, 
giving yourself the permission, because this is what I'm hearing, giving yourself the permission to be in the field of exploration and curiosity and what works for you or what you can have faith in now. Yes, it may shift and change, but isn't that the beauty and the advantage of being human that we don't have to subscribe and that we can constantly be curious and change? Exactly. Exactly. Like how dull would it be if it if everything was fixed? You yeah, know? <laughs> for sure. I am so fascinated by your work. I would love for you, I mean, I've done heaps of research on you, but I'd love for you to share with our listeners in terms of what it is that you do, but more importantly, how you came to understand dreaming as this really important key aspect and I guess, window into understanding our wholeness? So when I was younger, I had a lot of psychic dreams and I would have dreams and things would come to pass in waking reality. And at the time as a child, I didn't really think anything was strange about it because it would often be about little things, you know, like my aunt coming over or seeing something that would, uh, you know, like opening a door and then having a specific scene appear behind that door And then as I got older, I realized that wasn't really something, one, that people spoke about, Mm -hmm. and two, um, something that always happened to other people. And so I've always had a very deep love for dreaming um, that kind of came up for me, I'd say, organically as a child. And then as life is, I didn't really think anything about dreaming for quite a long time. I had a lot of spontaneous, lucid dreams. Um, as a teenager and as a child, but I didn't know what they were. I think I only heard the term lucid dreaming probably when I was like 18 or 19. And so that's kind of the pre-story. Those kind of experiences were happening to me and they were just part of my life. I really didn't pay a lot of attention to them. It was just something that was happening. And then I hit my 20s. I had to figure out what I wanted to do in my life. And someone gifted me a book by Louise Hay um, called You Can Heal Your Life, right? It's so prolific. <laughs> no, it's, I think it's a rite of passage. <laughs> a completely. It is a complete rite of passage. And at the time, I was working in this esoteric shop. And the girl who gifted, to, gifted it to me was actually very considerate. And I needed that book. And it was like someone turned on the light. Mm. a light switch in my mind and I thought okay this is what I'm going to do this is what I'm going to do with my life I'm going to dive into what this means and so for me that pathway I felt like the best pathway for me would be to go and study psychology and become a psychologist I wanted that backing and I wanted the training and I felt like it was a good path forward for me and so I went and I became a psychologist and I became licensed in South Africa. Just like that. I just became a psychologist. It's only like a five-year degree. It's fine. Oh, my gosh. It is. Exactly. It's five years, and then you still have to do an internship and training and thesis. It's a long, long journey. I'm grateful for that time, though, I must say, um, because... It gave me a lot of friends and a lot of insight that I now use. And at the time, I wasn't sure about it all, you know, because psychology and spirituality can often be Mm. seem to be like they're on opposite ends. And I was living very much in that kind of belief where university was a set group of 
people and thinking and it also was kind of you know esoteric topics will come up but not really it was just kind of that was the reality of the training that I find myself in and at the same time I have a deep love of spirituality of all things kind of mystical and so there was this kind of a slight schism I would say and when I practiced and I opened up a private practice and I'd done a lot of work with trauma patients because that was the reality of a lot of the people that were coming to therapy I realized like I had to bridge that and I needed to do it for myself internally but I also needed to I feel like my work called me to do that externally and one of the pathways um, that once I decided okay I was going to set up an online business I was going to not um I was going to go public in a way as a you know mm. instead of sitting in a private practice which is much more individual people don't know anything about you um it's much more private in that sense you know I guess private practice mm. um, <laughs> and and so that's what I did I thought okay let me unify all of these things and one of the pathways that I wanted to teach on was dreaming and that's mm. kind of it's a long story but that's how I came about I think it's a it's a definite story of patience and waiting to that moment where it feels right to unfold. And I think something you said there was really significant to me, and I and I want to bring it up because I think that this is a, something a lot of people struggle with, which is, you know, what am I going to do? What is my purpose? What is my gift? And and just like you described, like this comes naturally to you, and so it's so easy to miss because you just assume that everyone else has this experience. Everyone else knows what I know. Everyone else has this foundation and knowledge naturally. And that is really never true. And so I think it's just so beautiful that you were patient and curious enough to wait for that nudge to come through. Thank you. Um, I feel like I really stand in my truth when I say this, but I felt when I took that step to do that, I felt like I was ready to do it. I mm. didn't feel confident all the time, but I felt ready. And I really feel like the world backed me in that way. So when I decided I was going to go online, this was pre, uh, pre COVID, pre Zoom sessions, you know, and mm. I was in private practice and everyone said to me, this is insane. This is a really bad idea. Don't do this. And I thought, okay, I am going to do this. This is what I'm going to do. And, but I want to be backed. I want to feel like I'm supported in this process. And something like within three days, I received a Facebook message from a friend who I went to primary school with and hadn't spoken to in years. And she had become the deputy editor for Cosmopolitan magazine at the time. And she said to me, what are you doing? And I said, oh my, this is what I'm doing. And like, everyone's telling me this is a bad idea. And she's like, this is not a bad idea. What you need is backing. And so I pitched, she told me to pitch a column and I pitched a column and I got it. This is back in South Africa. And I ended up writing this column, column for Cosmopolitan magazine. And so it was like, yes, there was such huge alignment in the fact that I was ready. Didn't feel confident, but was ready and went and did that. And I think the world will open up. So for anyone who's listening and they go, I'm not sure. I don't know what to do. You don't need to see all the steps. You really don't, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I always saw the story of, you know, actually someone said this to me when I went out, you know, into my truth onto my path was they're not going to like push you off the cliff and say, good luck. 
you are going to be held, but you could never have predicted that a friend from primary school is going no. to give you this amazing opportunity for exposure and in, in, in the way you call it backing. And so you just literally have to trust. And even last night, actually, I was reading some work around the fact that when people say, oh my goodness, you're crazy. Like, what are you doing? Or this is never going to work are all the people that have never done it. <laughs> so all right. the people that, so don't, you know, don't feel like you have to listen to other people like ever, especially people that haven't done what you're doing. Yes, that's it, right? And I think also sometimes the people that were saying that for me, I know that they were well-meaning, mm. right? Uh, they really were. The, you know, it was, it took a long time to set up a practice. They were well-meaning. They loved me. They did not want to see me blow up what I had worked for but vision is vision for a reason and sometimes other people can't see that and it's kind of exactly what you say you know even well-meaning loving people sometimes cannot see um what is meant for you and I think that is part of a calling in a way is that you kind of have to honor that like even oh, if you're never yeah. backed by anyone can you show up you know yeah oh my gosh I love that vision is vision for a reason. And I've heard Mark Groves talk about how don't go to the people closest to you for advice because they love you too much. So they're going to protect exactly. you. They're going to, you know, be in that fear-based perception or, you know, that natural inclination to protect themselves in terms yes. of the advice that they give to you. So it's quite an interesting concept when you reflect on it in your own context. But I'm I'm dying to get into dreams. So oh. <laughs> let me just ask the 101 dumb questions about dreams. Um, what is the psyche of dreams? Like what the hell actually are they? So in my book, The Alchemy of Your Dreams, right, I outline the map that I kind of come from. And this is a big question. It's actually really not a simple question. It's not even 101, I would say. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, Although I feel so bad of... about myself, but now I feel bad for you because I've asked you this huge question. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry. But it's kind of like, how do we look at the nature of reality and what is the psyche? And so for me, I root back down to the original meaning of the word. The word psyche comes from, from, well, the English equivalent comes from the Greek Greek word, psyche, right? And it means soul. Mm -hmm. And so that is like, what is the soul of dreaming? Oh, wow. What a big question. Maybe that's what we're doing every night. We're linking to our souls through sleep. Every single ancient was, wisdom tradition, almost every single wisdom tradition in the world has some narrative, some story about how when we fall asleep and go, we sleep and dream, there's a part of us that returns to our soul or our soul leaves our, our body to return to like the higher divine consciousness. And so that in a way is a good starting point, right? And if we look at that, okay, if we're looking at it now from a lens of maybe let's say like everyday psychology or everyday interpretation, right? Like mm -hmm. what is the psychology of dreaming? How does it help? Well, it helps because it's helping you if every night a dream can help us to restore balance to something within ourselves that we are maybe learning about or we are not able to see and not even just information about ourselves, but also about the collective and even people around us. And so it's this huge space 
well to me actually i should just preface that by saying to me it feels like this huge huge space for you is, is it a portal of channeling I think that the more I do this work, I would say that there are aspects that are present in both. And that's something that's definitely coming up for me in my new book, that you are, when you're dreaming, right, and you're connected to this larger, let's say, part of yourself, you're connected to your soul. And from this insight, this place of seeing, you are receiving information in maybe a different way. And then when we wake up, we tend to look through the lens of our minds or our egos. And I mean that not ego like an egoic mind, but like the thing that helps us to clarify life, right? Um, Like it transforms that information. So when you're channeling, you're open, right? I'm assuming that's what you mean. Like when you're like a medium and you're channeling, right? You are open to divine forces. And for some people, there's trance channeling where a force will take over you entirely or you'll still be there and you'll just, you'll hear a voice or whatever it is. In many ways, it's being open to receptive divine guidance. And yes, so there is a similarity. Here's the kicker though, in waking life, most people would say, well, I'm a medium, I'm a channel, I'm a psychic, right? All of us, when we sleep and dream, in essence, then we are those things. (laughs) Oh yeah, and I believe like we are all those things in waking as well. It's just you know, those different ways in which we tap into it or our natural inclination or, you know, maybe our talents or whatever it is in terms of being able to receive and decipher. Um, Because whilst I can do it in waking hours, I'm not in any way sure how I would do that in my dreaming world. Right. And, And I think that's, again, something like you were saying earlier, it's your natural way of being and, and natural like inclinations you know if you're doing that in waking life you're definitely probably doing it at sleep Mm. in sleeping too um but also you might be exhausted and need to just rest here's the thing about dreaming that i would say is different to receiving channeled information when you're channeling right or if you say like you know you're doing a creative project where you're really in flow there is no you're like, I don't know how to explain this other than to say like, you're very open and there isn't an obstruction in that way. When you dream, you take your memories with you. You can take your thoughts and ideas with you. You can take your beliefs with you. And then the dreaming kind of comes at you. So there is a slight difference, I would say. So for example, right, if you have a fight with someone, And you're really pissed before you go to bed. You're angry, right? And yeah. thinking about it, it's like, ah, all the thoughts, all the thoughts. And then you go to sleep. And that night you dream, you know, they get hit by a car. And you wake up in the morning. And, like, is that information about something that's going to happen to them? Or is that information about the way you're feeling because you're so angry at them? So the dream comes to show you that, like, they've been hit by a car now they need to go to the hospital some healing needs to take place and that's the art of dreaming is that you need to decipher the two what's yours and what is other yeah I imagine that that is a a skill that you have to massively hone it's it's like that question of is this my intuition or is this my ego or is this just my thought process that we get asked a lot yes and they're fundamentally different yeah and the you work with them the more you see that and I think one of the easiest ways for people to clarify it is simply by dream journaling 
because every time you write a dream down and if you if you put it into context right so I created a dream journal I don't know if I have it here somewhere I don't but in it I it's called the deliberate dreamers journal and there's a place and it says like waking context what were you doing in your life if you remember before you had this dream and so when you look back at the narrative of your dreaming it teaches you actually how to go oh this is my this is really my ego, this theme, this repetitive dream's been coming up since I was six years old. That's something that is mine, right? Or a dream about a collective, um, something people dream about tsunamis all over the world before they happen. It's a really good example in a way because it's like, well, a tsunami could be viewed in so many ways, mm. you know, but it's actually about the collective. And if you dream journal it, the feeling state will show you that's this, that's this, that's that. But yes, it is a practice. Uh, yes, you've just inspired me. I need to start journaling to, you know, just to try and be, get curious about it. Um, you mentioned lucid dreaming before. Um, can, you know, what is lucid dreaming? And, you know, talk us through that because we hear this term a lot, but I'm not sure many of us understand what it actually means. Right. So most of the time when someone says a lucid dream, people think it's a vivid dream, right? It's a dream where you go to sleep and it feels really real and very vivid. And so there is truth to that in the way we speak. But traditionally, a lucid dream in its realness, I guess, is a dream in which you are dreaming, but you recognize, oh, wait, this is a dream. So your body is sound asleep, but your awareness is awake in the dream. Well, okay, wow. Have you ever had one? Yeah. I mean, I'm gosh, I'm trying to think. I don't know. That is such a cool concept. So you're dreaming, but you're aware that it's a dream. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know is the honest question. Not too many people stump me. Well done. I Thank you. <laughs> I didn't try. I didn't. Um, intentionally come on to try and stump you <laughs> so, so is it something that you uh, uh, just something that you become aware of through dream journaling or is it a skill that you can actually practice yes yes to both questions it okay. is a skill that you can practice it is something that I teach um, there are multiple reasons why someone would want to do this right well benefits should I say um so there are lots of methods and I outline a whole lot in my book right they are detailed in that they mostly focus around mindfulness so for example right um what happens to a lot of people that I speak to who have never had lucid dreaming the minute you start to talk about it they'll go on to have a lucid dream because it's now in your awareness which mm. is so fun <laughs> but the, so tonight's going to be interesting for me is that what you're saying I hope so <laughs> I expect a email or phone call the next day right. saying oh my <laughs> leave it with me leave it with me <laughs> but the main the main reason why it's centered around mindfulness is that when you're dreaming for the most part we all go to sleep and our dreams kind of happen to us you know you're like it's, they move without our awareness you're kind of in it and it feels so real and then you wake up and you realize oh wow I was dreaming right but yeah. throughout many of our dreams almost all of them I would say right that's a huge generalization but 
most of them, there are always triggers within the dream that are anomalies, right? So for example, you might find yourself at a friend's house that you go to often, right? Or even in your own home. And you know, in reality, what the layout of your house actually looks like, right? But in, the, in dreaming, you might find that you're in a room, but there's something out of place. You know, there's a blanket on the bed that's a different color. There's a dog, something that isn't usually there. And in that quick little moment, if you have practiced mindfulness in waking life, there is this like period of time where you can recognize that anomaly and usually it can trigger a thought like that's not my room. I don't actually have a dog. I must be dreaming. I'm dreaming. This is a dream. And that is the very beginning point of lucid dreaming. So that's like the 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 real beginning point there is so much more to lucid dreaming than that but that's like how people can become aware so the more aware you are in your waking life if you just begin to pay attention to the room around you and what you're doing daily it tends to fill that skill tends to filter into dreaming and helps with lucidity and that's been proven um scientifically it's not just like a method it's literally one that's research back and so having the awareness that you are dreaming and you're in this state, does that enhance the meaning making from the dream or the experience of dreaming? Yes, I would say so, right? And in my book, I leave that question to my readers. So I think we all have to map our own meaning. We have to decide mm. what's true for us. Um, and I I feel like in my own lived experience and the um the experiences of so many people that have run through dream groups or just working together. It is very hard when you have a lucid dream because I'm the, of the belief that when you are in that dream space, you can experience non-physical and non-ordinary reality. We have many words for that, right? Like divine wisdom, guides, spiritual guides, higher planes of consciousness. And in that space, because you've retained your awareness, the possibility of what you can do is huge because it's like in waking life, there's so many things. Um, it's, it's, I feel like it's so much harder, but actually in dreaming, it's much easier because you're in non-physical for, for the most part. You're dreaming with what Tibetan Buddhists call your dream body. This is not something I've ever spoken publicly about before, but the experience of um, spiritual surgery okay. in that dream state, you definitely have experienced it before. I didn't intend to experience, obviously, but that that space where you go in and you realise, oh, there's work being done here by, you know, these beautiful energies or etherical bodies okay. beyond my control and it's, being done for me in this state so there is no resistance because I am asleep and that awareness so maybe I have lucid dreamed before maybe right exactly and isn't this amazing I think I can't tell you how often this happens um with people that I speak to right where it is it's go there's something that like triggers it I think it's so intrinsic and so natural for us to actually experience what you've spoken about meeting guides I, I share a book a story in my book um, of a woman called Fariba Borgonzana and I'm not sure if I'm saying her surname correctly but she is 
Um, I think she has like a PhD in probably psychology and art and something else and something else. Anyway, she's also a lucid dream expert. And she had this experience where she met this Tibetan Buddhist in her dream. And at the time, she just thought it was a symbolic part of her psyche herself that she was coming into contact with. And she worked with this dream figure for many multiple dreams over and over and over and then later something like 10 years down the line she was at a conference and she met him she met the buddhist and they recognized each other from the dreaming from the dreamscape and and they work now work together in waking life when you are lucid dreaming you are entering a space that i think is very um kind of like not unknown to the western mind but it's quite it's undisciplined, like we're not disciplined in our sleep in the West, right? In other in other places, that's not necessarily true, you know? <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, I feel like if so traditionally, again, from like a, a Buddhist perspective or even like a sham, shamanistic one, even in Kabbalah, right? If you're doing dream practices, there's usually training before you get to that level. So you have to meditate you're learning there's a lot of discipline in that way that comes comes together self-discipline I mean right like you're learning you're open to learning but you're also committed to a practice so you're committed to mindfulness or you're committed to meditation or you're committed to you know Buddhists commit to all sorts of other practices love and kindness compassion and not eating meat right it filters into everything and then the dream work comes because there's a discipline of the mind and there's discipline of concentration. And so a lot of lucidity is about being aware and awake, right? Both in waking life, but also in dreaming. It's I'm going to th- be thinking about this. <laughs> After we finish this chat, I'm actually, I'm working today, but I do have a yoga class. I can just only imagine my mind during this yoga class, what it's going to be churning <laughs> through. I love this. Um, Hopefully it'll be peaceful churning. <laughs> yeah, I just, I love, I just, I think my, my thirst for, yes, learning new, but it, like you say, it is something that we do, something that we can absolutely hone in on the discipline and awareness and the practice and build our capacity to hold space for this. But I just think it, I love to be able to listen to an expert like you in order to contextualize experiences and to give the language around it. I can't help but think though, as we're speaking, the thing that I keep hearing in my head is a lot of people that report to me, I never remember my dreams. So is, is that true? Is that is it just some people have access to this, some people don't? A great question. And so scientifically speaking, neuroscientists have studied this. We all dream. Every single night when we fall asleep, we dream. And recall is actually, in a way, a lot about practice. Again, about practice, right? So for some people, it's there's such a deep disconnect between remembering dreams and that hasn't happened for such a long time that the belief that comes up is that like, well, I never believe, you know, I never remember my dreams, which is something they don't pay attention to. I worked with someone um, 
on my on on the alchemy of your dreams she was part of the publishing team and she said to me I never ever remember my dreams I can't recall them so I can't help you in any way in with this book and just from reading about dreaming literally it could be a book it could be a blog most of the time that triggers enough of a and sort of like awareness that dreaming will sort of begin to filter back. But there are practices that you can do. And one of the simplest things that I always tell people, if you really struggle to remember your dreams, on waking, we all wake up and we, not we all, we, most of us tend to wake up and move our bodies, right? And what happens that when you do that, it makes it hard for your mind to store the memory of the dream into long-term memory. So this uh, was actually, yeah, so this was d- discovered by a woman called Patricia Garfield, and she was one of the first pioneers in dream research back in the day. And she literally, this is her tip, we stand on her shoulders, right? So if you can just lay still, and whatever fragment that you can remember, even if it's a feeling or or minor thought or a person or a place, if you can just hold that in your memory and replay it for a couple of seconds, that will store, help your memory to store it into long-term memory. And then if you wake up and you journal or you just note down some key notes, that practice then solidifies it even more. And also from my background, coming from the psychology background, the more you say to your psyche, it's a lot like um, personal development. The more you decide, okay, I'm going to do this. This is something I'm going to put my effort mm. and energy into. It's almost like your mind adapts and says, okay, I, I hear you. I see that you're being responsive to this now. And so it responds. And the psyche, if we go back to to me, it's we're talking about the soul. And the soul is waiting there for you. It's waiting. It's been giving you me- giving you messages nightly, but you haven't been paying attention, right? So if you begin to pay attention, it's like, oh, yay, there you are. We're finally paying attention. And so the dreaming, dreaming often responds in that way. Love that. And, I, and I'm sure that, you know, you cover this in your book, but just those basic tips on how to create this practice and open yourself up to this practice. Yes, exactly, right? Um, that there are so many helpful little things that you can do. Um, and just and and again, right, dreaming is something that naturally happens to all of us. And we if it feels complicated, it's actually not. It's really simple. Go back down to the basics. Don't move your body on waking. Try and think about the dream, write down a few notes. It's really simple. Oh, I love that. And I think that like you've completely piqued my curiosity I feel like there is so much more I want to ask you about dreaming I may have to beg you to come back on to the podcast next year too oh thank you because there is so much I would love to get through but also if this conversation has piqued your interest let me know because then I can reach out to Athena and ask her specific questions around dreaming that you would like to know. But for now, where can we begin to dive into your work and connect with you? Uh, Where can we grab your book and your journal? Thank you so much. And so the book is called The Alchemy of Your Dreams. It's available worldwide. I was very lucky it's been translated into something like 12 languages. So it is, yes, it's dreamers are waking up. It was very exciting. 
And then the Deliberate Dreamers Journal is also available online in most re retailers. And all the links are on my website, which is www.athenalayers.com. And people can also look for me on social media under my name, Athena Layers. And we will put all those links in the show notes so you can just go through and click there. But for now, thank you so much for your time. I really honour um, the fact that you were brave enough to and courageous enough to heed the calling and the purpose that you are living in this life, even if it was inconvenient or surprising to those around you and even yourself. But thank you. Thank you for sharing not only your time with us today, but this beautiful gift you have with the world. Thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Light Path Podcast. I hope that the information shared here has helped illuminate your path. Be sure to check out the show notes for links related to this episode. While you're there, remember to subscribe to the podcast to ensure you never miss an episode. I'm Kirsten Leo, and I can't wait to explore and expand our capacity for abundance, worthiness, and love together in the next episode.